So we're in this uh, middle of this series. If you're watching online, we're good to, good to not see you, but glad to, you get to see us. Uh, we're watching, uh, we're in this series, Things That Go Bump in the Night. And I had a real world example of this this week. 5.50 in the morning. You know, and I was about, it's about to get up time, but not up yet. The blow dryer fell off of the counter in the bathroom on its own, been there all day, all night, and turned itself on. It's like, that's like, whoa, what? He's like, you know, you wake up and think, what is, what is that? What is that? Uh, uh, I, and that was it. I couldn't go back to sleep after that. I was awake. Uh, so today, we're, you know, we've been talking about things that go bump in the night. The things that bother you, the things that haunt you, the things that... Uh, that get a hold of it, that multiply, seems like, when we, when we think about them and the, the deep watches of the night, we remember them, they come to our mind, and they loom large. They seem, they seem bigger than they are. They seem out of proportion. They are out of proportion to what they really are often. Uh, it's, it's a great time to pray. A lot of times it's... Uh, I feel like if the Lord wakes me up in the middle of the night, it's uh, that he wants me to pray about something. And I have three kids, so I always have something to pray about. You know, there's always something to pray about. And I've got you, kids. There's always something, there's always something to pray about, right? So, uh, so today I want to talk about facing opposition. Uh, so often, so many of us, uh, when we face opposition, uh, we shrink back and quit. In other words, it, 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 uh, it, it causes us to, to push back or not push back when we should push back. Many people back up when rejection at any level or resistance appears. As soon as someone tells you, you can't do that, everybody tell you, you can't do that, or uh, you're not smart enough to do that, or you're not talented enough to do that, then they just accept it. Say, oh, well, you're probably right. As soon as they hear words of rejection, it confirms what they feel about themselves. Here's the problem with rejection. Often we're often looking for people to give us affirmation because we don't feel good about ourselves. And so we're looking for other people to make us feel good about ourselves. This is one of the traps of social media, is that people use social media as a... a, is a kind of a bait and switch thing, you know, so that we're wanting to get feedback. We put something out there. We put a picture of it. We, you know, we take all these selfies of us doing something, uh, or what we're eating and we put it out. And if someone responds to that, that gives us positive affirmation. So, so we're real, we're real, uh, uh, suckers for positive affirmation. It, it gives us a, it gives us a dopamine hit. In other words, it, it makes us, makes us literally feel good to do it. So, so if you're not getting that, and, and there's a lot of different reasons. I mean, you can, come out of, you can come out of a history where you had a lot of rejection. You could come out of an abuse situation uh, where you were abused as a child, either physically or sexually. Uh, you could just come out of a, a home where you're, you had a parent who was a perfectionist. And everything that you did was just almost good enough. Almost. You got real close. 
but you didn't make it. You needed to try harder. And so you tried harder, and you, you, you did everything that you could do to try to get their approval, and they may have died, and you still haven't gotten it. So that can be tough. So then we're looking for somebody else to affirm us, and if, if they don't, if they don't agree with us, then we have difficulty with this. So we're expecting to be rejected, and so when someone disagrees with us, you know, it's amazing. Don't you think there's been a, it's, the culture has shifted to where we can't have a reasonable disagreement? It's like a disagreement is an attack on my character, and actually, that's actually what happens. If they disagree with you, it's like, now you're an idiot, you're stupid, and you're a Neanderthal. It's like, oh, I, sorry, I bought the wrong toilet paper. I didn't know it was that big a deal, you know. Uh, <laughs> so we struggle with this. So how do we deal with it? Jesus said to us as followers of Christ, Jesus said to us that opposition is normal for us if we carry his name. In other words, if we're going to be followers of Christ, if we're going to be Christians, uh, was the first name given to them in the New Testament in Antioch. If we're going to be people who are like Christ, who follow Christ, who are recognized as people of the cross, people of the way, all kinds of different ways that we're described, then uh, Jesus said it's normal. Listen to what he said, Luke 6, 22. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. He said, you're blessed if people ostracize you and say bad things about you. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. I don't think you're doing that, are you? We're not doing that. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. What we believe is contrary to what the world believes. What we believe is swimming upstream to what the world believes. We believe that Jesus is God, and we believe that He is the Savior of the world. Not a Savior. Big difference. We don't believe there's many paths to God. We don't believe that you can go through different ways. We don't believe that Jehovah's Witness is a way or Mormonism is a way. Not that they're not, all, not good people. It has nothing to do with what kind of people they are. But how do you get to God? Jesus said very clearly, he drew a line and said, I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I, so I don't get to choose the way. He made the way. He provided the way to salvation. So we believe that Jesus is God and there's only one way to salvation, and that draws a line. The world doesn't agree with that. You can, if you're willy-nilly and, and you just lump Jesus off along with everybody else and that, you know, Muhammad's away and Jesus is away and everybody's away. Buddha's away. Hinduism is away. Reincarnation is away. If you just, if you just agree with all those things are away, the world's fine. But if you say, Jesus is the only way, ooh, they don't like that. Jesus is Lord. 
If we believe that Jesus is Lord, that makes a difference. It should make a difference. If Jesus is the Lord of my life, that means he has the right to rule and reign in my life. That means I've invited him to have authority over how I live, right? He's just not my buddy. He's just not my friend. He is my friend. But he's also more than a friend. He's my Lord. So if he's my Lord, then that's going to determine how I live. And the world doesn't agree with that. So Jesus faced opposition. Paul faced opposition. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. For a wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. He says, seems like everywhere I go, there's great opportunity, and there's great opposition. They almost seem to go together. There's great opportunity, and there's great opposition. Virtually everywhere Paul went, he preached the gospel, and through that, he was able to plant a church. And virtually everywhere Paul went, someone tried to imprison him or kill him, and they eventually did. Paul was gracious and gentle as he preached the gospel, but he was uncompromising of the truth and the way to salvation. So God, Jesus says, opposition is normal, so we should expect it. Number two, God uses opposition. He uses that too. He uses opposition. I guess I need to be able to see it up there. He needs it to, to refine and strengthen us. Exodus 1, 6. The children of Israel are growing in the land of Egypt. Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Now a king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply in the event of war. They will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. So, so they say, look, God has put the nation of Israel in Egypt for this purpose so that they can multiply and become a great nation. And there in Egypt, God is in, in, in a very difficult situation. He is, he's put his blessing upon them and the more they are oppressed, the more they seem to prosper. So the children of Israel were strong people. Uh, they'd endured punishment and the hard labor of slavery. But what had happened over the years, the oppression had robbed, robbed them of the recognition of who they were. They were, who were they? They were God's people set apart for him. But they had lost faith and vision for God's purpose and their value to God. They, so God often uses opposition to bring that out, to bring us to a point. So one thing, he's increasing their numbers, but he's strengthening them. He's strengthening their resolve. He's strengthening their character through difficulty. I observed this in the Ukraine. 
when communism fell in 1991. We as a church were very active uh, in, in Eastern Europe uh, when there was for a season of 10 or 15 years where there's great opportunity for us to minister there in Eastern Europe. And I was going three or four times a year to do uh, short-term Bible colleges because they were planning so many churches. And this church was supporting six or seven churches at a time, sometimes as much as 10 churches that we were helping plant at a time. And the season was a great opportunity. It was, I mean, uh, the the walls had come down, and it was a great opportunity. But in, in the Ukraine, in communist Russia, in the Soviet Union, Ukraine being part of the Soviet Union, everyone had a job. And so everyone got an apartment. Everyone had food. Now, everyone had a lousy apartment. Uh... In the apartments that we visited early on, the people had running water in the bathroom. They washed their dishes in the bathtub. So they had a house, and they, had, they lived in these, in these apartment, Soviet-built, Soviet-designed apartment blocks that were absolutely the ugliest place you've ever seen. Very utilitarian, but ugly, and they lived in those. But... And everybody had a job. And you might have, your job might be, you're the escalator watcher. And they would have an escalator watcher at the bottom of the escalator, and an escalator watcher at the top of the escalator. And that's all they did, all day long, was watch the escalator. Watch people coming up the escalator, watch people going down the escalator. There were all kinds, because everybody had a job. And there was, there was food. It, was, it was, wasn't a lot of food, and maybe lots of cabbage. And, and they love cabbage, but, you know, you intend to love, if that's all there is, you really love it. Uh, so they struggled. So, uh, so the wall comes down, and you've got a whole generation that has only lived under communism. And they cannot see another way. They're Christians. They love Jesus. They, they want to see the kingdom of God come, but they can't, they can't see anything different than what they've lived Sometimes God allows opposition to kind of get us ready, get us ready for the next season, to, to season us, to refine us, to prepare us, to kind of get some of that stuff out of us. I love that, but the, but the more afflicted, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The early church did the exact same thing. The more that Rome endeavored to put its thumb on the early church and to suppress and the, <laughs> tell them they couldn't gather. The, the Romans were terrified of people gathering together. They did not want a group gathering. In their mind, a group was a riot. You had a group of five, you had a group of ten. They didn't want you having a group in your home. If you had a party, you were suspect. It's kind of like living with COVID now. You know, it's like, what's your ulterior motive that you're actually having? You're having a birthday party. We're trying to kill everybody. It's crazy. But even in the midst of that, I mean, all kinds of oppression. And, and the Jewish authorities are taking people off or they're using the authority that they have to imprison people and put people to death. And the Romans are, 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 are <laughs> persecuting 
and throwing Christians to the lions and to wild beasts. And at the very same time, Christianity is taking over Rome. It's taking over so that when Constantine acquiesces to Christianity and says, okay, let's make Christianity the national religion, the, the religion of Rome, he does it not because he has become a Christian. He does it because it's expedient for him to save his hide. It's amazing. The church grew incredibly under incredible pressure. Number three, so, so God does use oppression to refine us. Number three, God uses opposition to push God used opposition to push the early church to obey the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. Now, Jesus said this. These are the last, some of the last things Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right before he's ascended to the Father, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. This is the mission statement of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, every church has some way of cutesifying this up, making this sound more culturally relevant. But this is what, these are our marching orders. This is our mission statement. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's it. That's your job. Go and preach the gospel to every nation and make disciples. This is the lens. When we're thinking of an activity, this is the lens that we look for for every activity. Everything we do, we're thinking, okay, is this going to help us reach someone? Is this going to help us teach someone? That's, that should be the lens of every, in other words, we shouldn't be doing anything just because we've always done it. Tradition doesn't, shouldn't define what we do. We shouldn't do it because that's what we like. We should be doing what God's called us to do. He's our commander in chief, right? So everything, you even think about this, like we've got, we've got trunk or treat coming up 27th this month, which is a silly activity. I mean, what do you do? You, 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 you decorate your car to look like something interesting to kids, and then you give them candy. And, but you never know when you reach out to someone what's going to be the effect of that. If you say, hey, would you come to my church? And see, because then you can say, hey, we, you know, we have services on Sunday too. Why don't you come on Sunday? You know you came to the trunk retreat. That wasn't that fun? And it made me think about Sarah Harris. Sarah Harris, is, who happens to be, didn't know I was going to say this today, so sorry. Um, sitting on the front row. She invited a, a family several years ago, uh, Pablo, Tammy, and Kayla, and Joshua Esquivel. And uh, they did come and de decorate a trunk. They got involved in that. Uh, in 2019, they won the Ugly Sweater Contest that we had on the, for our Christmas celebration. This year, I baptized uh, the whole family, except for Joshua. He'd already been, already been baptized. So I, Joshua, I, I baptized Pablo and Tammy and Kayla uh, in May? April. April of this year. In August, Pablo passed from COVID. 
Now, that's a very sad thing. That's a very sad thing that Pablo has passed from COVID. And uh, even though it was a hard funeral, because Pablo is going to be greatly missed. One, every Sunday when I would say, uh, I love you, at the end of my sermon, Pablo would say, we love you too, Pastor. So even though, he, even though he's greatly missed, here's what we know. His eternity is secure in Christ. And actually, if you were to say, Pablo, you want to trade places? He'd say, well... <laughs> Not really, because, see, Paul even said this way, it's hard for me. It's, 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 it's going to be hard on you if I go away, and we recognize that, right? Who's it, who, it's, it's hard on all those that are left behind. It's hard on his family. It's hard on the people who love him. But he said, it's better for me to go away. But, you, but see, you don't know. You don't know the significance. You think, you know, you, and, we, and we were talking, Tina was talking about how this, there was like a tsunami in her life, how, how, how three people started inviting her, her sister, her aunt, and, and a youth Bible study at, at her school. Tina did not grow up in church at all. She grew up at the racetrack. So how the Lord used just these little invitations to draw people in. I just want to encourage you, you, you never know the power of the invitation. So, so the early church, so I just took that detour around the mission statement, that purpose. So, so the early churches had this command, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But they didn't immediately. They kind of hung around in Jerusalem for a while. You know, years passed, 18 months, maybe longer has passed somewhere between 18 months and three years. And they have an event, and they end up stoning Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, the Jews, he preaches the gospel. They're talking, he's talking about Jesus, and he's saying, you know, I see Jesus the right hand of the Father, and so they kill him for it. When they'd driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. Acts 7. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is one of, this is one of the things that set. This is one of the things. This is one of the characteristics of the New Testament church that made it beautiful to the world because the the culture of Rome was an honor culture. So if you kill, you hurt somebody in my family, I hurt somebody in your family. You know, it's, a, it's an eye for an eye until everybody's blind. And so, but the Christians, because Jesus said on the cross, what did Jesus say on the, fro- on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It was non-retaliatory. So, so the Jews and the Romans are killing Christians all the time, and the, and the Christians are forgiving them. They don't know how to handle it. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, and on that day a great persecution against 
began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, even the apostles, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation. Lamentation? Can't read today, sorry. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Acts chapter eleven nineteen. a little more about this. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in, in connection with, this, with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So the New Testament church was doing great, but they needed a little push out of the comfort zone, out of their comfort zone of Jerusalem to fulfill what Jesus had told them to do. He didn't he said stay here till you get the Holy Spirit. He said then when you get the Holy Spirit go into all the world and preach the gospel. <laughs> but but you know they didn't. They stayed. So Lord allows opposition to push them out of Jerusalem. What if the purpose of COVID was to push the church out of its comfort zone and into the world? What if God, what, you know, there's, what's that Bible verse? He causes everything to work together for good to love those who love God, called according to his purpose. What if God is big enough to take bad things and make them into things that are accomplishing his glory? What, what, what if there was a purpose behind it? What if God's going to use it? What if God is using it? It has used it. So, when's the last time you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody? When's the last time you invited someone to church? When's the last time you had someone in your home? What if we're not supposed to live in fear, but in faith, so that we can minister to a world that is filled with fear and anxiety? What if we're to show our neighbors and our friends and our family? Not that, I'm not saying we act stupid. Just, just, just let them know we trust God. We believe God. Are there areas of your life where you have settled for the comfortable disobedience? See, New Testament church had a comfortable disobedience. They knew what Jesus had called them to do, but they weren't, it wasn't, you know, it's, we're not ready yet. We're, you know, there'll be a better time. This is not a good season. There'll be more money next week. There'll be more money next year. Well, the house will be cleaner. It'll be neater. Everything will be better. Let, this is not a good season. And they let that lull them into not doing what Jesus has called them to do. Have, has, have you allowed the desire for comfort to let you have a comfortable disobedience? Has the devil taken over a bedroom and you haven't kicked him out? 
You become comfortable with it, tolerant of it, accepting of it. Number four, opposition from the world is not a no from God. Sometimes we hear a no and it stops us. We think, wow, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Yes, it is. It's always harder than you expect it to be. Everything, everything is harder than you expect it to be. Everything. Remodeling your home is harder than you expect. Just take, a, just take a tiny space. Just take a tiny space. Just remodel your bathroom. Because that's not that important. Everything. Everything is harder than you expect it to be. And it's easy to take a no. Oh, that's hard. Yeah, you're right. It's hard. Everything you want to do, you're going to face opposition. Have you, have you noticed? You make an insurance claim, you're going to have to fight. They're not, they're not going to agree with you. You, got to, you have to fight for it. Their, their initial response, you, you, you go to the doctor and you make a claim with your insurance, what's their first response? No, it's not covered, out of network. Some, somebody did something wrong. You know, isn't it the craziest thing? The craziest thing to me is that like, like when I had transient global amnesia six or seven years ago, and I went to the emergency room because, you know, what else do you do? You think, you know, everybody thinks you're, you've lost it. Uh, that you're having a stroke and they're worried about you and they take you to the emergency room, you go to the emergency room and you, and, and you're, and you're careful. This is before the, the, you're careful because you want to make sure that you're where you go is in network. And then you get a bill from the emergency room doctors that they're not in the network. It's like, huh? who do I get to slap about that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. See, it's just every automobile insurance, you have a wreck, you make a claim, you go to the doctor, you get it, everything. You, everything is, you're going to have opposition, and you have to expect it. Expect opposition. If you just take every no, it's like, well, that's it. They said no. The world may have given you a no, but God's given you a yes. what 2 Corinthians says. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. For as many are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Christ is the fulfillment of the promises. In him they are yes. Therefore, also through him in our amen to the glory of God through us. He's, he's saying, it's not... Our relationship with God is not yes and no. It's yes. Jesus said, yes. Want me in your family? Yes. You'll be my Savior? Yes. You'll deliver me from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light? Yes. You'll make me a son of God? Yes. You'll save me for eternity? Yes. I'm gonna glorif- you're going to glorify me and make me more incredibly beautiful that I can comprehend in this moment because I'm going to be like you? Yes! God has spoken. You may have got, had rejection your whole life. I want to tell you that God has said to you, 
yes. Yes, you, I want you. I've chosen you, I've called you, you're mine, you're my own, and I'm speaking a yes over your life. I want you to go forward and prosper and be blessed. I want you to accomplish everything in your life that I've called you to accomplish. Amen? All right, well, I've got to stop. Let's stand. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Is there an area where is there a room of your house that sin is occupied that needs to be kicked out? You've just been comfortable with it. Maybe it's unforgiveness or racism or who knows, pornography. All kinds of things. All kinds of things that the enemy starts to get a little foothold. He wants to get a foothold. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It's just a foothold. And we're just comfortable with it. We're tolerating it. Because, you, you know, I... You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how hard my life's been. You don't know what's happened to me. Jesus does. He wants to come in and clean house. Lord, help us to be totally free in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us understand that opposition is natural. And if we're the people of God, we're always going to be fighting against the current of the world system. So, Lord, help us have courage and strength and boldness. Lord, help us to deal with the stuff we need to deal with so it won't hold us back. Lord, give us the tenacity to push back against the nose. Where you have given us a yes. It doesn't matter what the world says if you've given us a yes. We'd have the tenacity and strength to pursue your promise, fulfill your will, and walk in obedience to your call. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you.